Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Rook Show for today. Uh, we have a very exciting show lined up for you guys. I want to I want to go to um, a quick commercial break so that we can get that out of the way. We have your host Brandy Jackson on the line. Brandy, is that you? Is it you? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> That's What's me. I love up, that when you, you see, you see, you haven't seen someone in a long time. You got to look and squint your eyes. Is it you? <laughs> <laughs> How you guys What's doing up? out we there? Have, everybody is doing fine. We have uh, we have a couple of interesting guests today. I would like to go to commercial so that um, we can. Get that out of the way and go right into the interview. Um, I'm I'm gonna surprise everybody with the guest. You already know who it is, but I want to introduce them when we come back from the commercial break. Uh, hold on one second. Okay. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French-cut shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Okay, we are back live on the air for the Rook Show. We have um, a very interesting guest on the line. Brandy, are you there? Oh, yeah. Live and <laughs> You said, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. The, um, the, call, the call was dropped, so I am um, oh, getting her back real quick. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so for everybody that's listening right now, remember this this will be archived, so you can always go back to listen to it. You can also call in at 213-943-3618, and that will be able to reach 
us at the Rook Show. And if you ever, you know, want to mention something to us or have a question and you don't want to come on air, you can always go to Twitter, uh, the Rook Show, uh, email us at Gmail, therookshow at gmail.com, Facebook, the Rook Show. It's uh, pretty much simultaneous across the board for the social media. And, don't forget uh, that, to like the page. Don't yeah, gotta to like, like the, the page. page. Like it, mm-hmm. love it. We don't have an Instagram just yet, but um, you know that'll be coming up for the future. But yeah, Twitter. next season hopefully we'll mm-hmm. have a much better um, grip on doing the show next season. So hopefully we'll we'll be able to appeal to the to the market a little bit better. I'm not sure how awkward this may be for you, the next guest that we are bringing on, because she used to be the, the co-host of the show, Brandy. Do you remember Miss Marsh? Have you ever had a conversation with her? Right, yes. Miss Marsh that, is that so is. professional. <laughs> yes, she is going <laughs> to conclude our Women of Power series um, today. I wanted to bring her on because... She's Ms. Marsh. Ms. Marsh, your mic is live. Are you are you there? Yes, Mr. King, I'm here. How are you doing today? All I'm right. doing just fine. How you Very doing, Ms. Marsh? Can you guys hear me? I'm fine, Brandy. How are you guys doing? I, I was getting to you next. <laughs> <laughs> I was <laughs> But anyway, how are you guys doing today? Doing good. Um, there's no AC, so... <laughs> Uh, oh, oh my! A- AC went out. <laughs> oh my goodness! But just well, sure. I am blessed and highly favored. It's yeah. Sunday, the Sabbath day, the day that the Lord has made. In addition to the other six, but we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. That's right. That's right. And we're not going to be murmuring and complaining like the children of Israel. You know, that's what took them so long to get to the Promised Land. That's the truth. Well, if you want to murmur and complain, we don't have a problem with it at all. Let's talk. Let's, let's talk, Miss Marsh. Let's talk. What's up? How you doing? Um, oh no, here we go. I'm here just, we go. I'm fabulous. I am just. My God, I'm just so fabulous. I can barely stand myself. How about you? Well, I could barely stand you either, but we're gonna be all right, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, okay. We got we got sixty minutes. I got plenty of time for you. Okay. Come come on with it, Miss Marsh. First of all first of all, I am so excited to have you on the show, um, for several different reasons. One of the reasons is because you are one of the most challenging people that I have ever interacted with. Um you you definitely are a woman of power from the previous experiences that you have had, so I I wouldn't have wanted anyone else to conclude the series, but you I'm very glad you accepted um my extension for you to come on to the show. I I, I can't ex- express to you how much I appreciate this right now. Well, you're certainly welcome. I was happy to do it. You know, we're going to let bygones be gone. No, we're not. We're going to talk about it today. We, we're we not going to let bygones be bygones. We're going to talk about it today. What what? First of all, 
What's off limits? What can we not talk about? What can we not talk about? Oh, well, you know, Anthony, if you'd like to go there, you know, I'm always welcome and ready. Yes, I do know that. That's why I'm excited about you being on the show. This should be very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you'd like to talk about, you just you go right ahead. You know, okay, kinda, first of all. I want to start off um what, what did you that I did get a chance. I, I, I want to start off again because I had a chance to talk with you. I, I first met you via the phone, and uh, what I liked about your character, your personality, when you do your business, it's straightforward, which is so needed because in the industry, it's a lot of runaround. It's a lot of runaround that's unnecessary that wastes people's time. And what I appreciated about you was you get straight to the point. Let's get right in. What's the goal? What are the details? Okay, what are we expecting as an outcome and a solution? And where's the profit? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, people need to really operate. And, I, and I'm not going to say that it's difficult to operate business like that, but I'm not going to say it's easy either because you have to be stern with people. And uh, that's what I wanted to ask you. How did you become the way you are? I mean, was that something you were just born with those characteristics, or is it something that you developed through other people, experience, what you've seen, or has it just always been in you? You know what? I want to say something to you, and I don't say it often, but that's a good question. The the way you prefaced it, I mean, that's a very well-thought-out question. It's meaningful, and it's very intelligently poised. And as Anthony will tell you, I'm not... I, I, I don't say that to everyone. So that is a good question. So let, let me <laughs> let me answer it for you. Um, okay. As unbelievable as this may sound, there was a time in my life when I was not very assertive, and you could almost say used to be a doormat. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started working in a professional office environment, I was so engaged in trying to please everyone and being very submissive to um immediate supervisors, and it was just, I was just over-accommodating, and it just, it really became sickening, and one day I had mopped myself into a corner, and I say mop because it was sloppy, wow, <laughs> and, it was just, that's... And, and, and it, yeah, I had mopped myself into a corner, and, and I was backed in, and I thought, how am I going to get out of this, right. and people were just taking the attitude where they were being heavy-handed with me, aggressive, verbally abusive. Um, I went in the bathroom, I started crying, I had to go home, and I just, I said, you know what, I can't operate like this. And they went in on me again the next day, and I just, uh, I, I overreacted. So it was from that point I said, I, I've got to get a handle on this, and I've got to achieve some balance, and I, I just can't work this. So then I just slowly started to temper my own self and, create some balance, and understand that I have to erect boundaries between myself and people and just understand what the expectation is, what's too much, what's not enough. So it it, it kind of um, started to evolve that way. Okay. And then as I moved up in corporate um, and then started to do consulting work and having my own business, some people will tell you I can be a little heavy-handed myself and a little aggressive, but... I do what needs to get done in order to do what needs to get done. 
and you're wow. a businesswoman, so I know you know what I mean. I I can totally relate to that because that that was me as well, and I I feel like I'm still developing. So. You just you hit a wall and you said, "Oh, I can't. I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to allow that anymore. I'm going to stand for something and I'm going to have the balance that's necessary for myself." Absolutely. It's just it's day by day because working with those type of people, it will just it will suck your life's blood out of you and you'll have absolutely nothing left nothing for left. anybody else. Mhm. Just zapped. Hmm. Yeah, so you've really got to pace yourself. And it's a slippery slope, and um, but it's one that you can maneuver on. You just have to be very focused and understand what your priorities are and proceed accordingly. Because there are a lot of people, um, and like I said, I can relate to that as well, but there are a lot of people that prefer to um, please the other people and be more accommodating than standing up. Why do you think... Why do you think that is? Because I've had a conversation uh, kind of similar. People pleasing, um, I guess maybe a fear of the rejection. I'm not really sure. What do you think it is? Well, that's another good question, and I think you're absolutely right. I think those are one of the elements um, of people pleasing. I think people are afraid of rejection. I think Mm -hmm. people have low Mm -hmm. self-esteem. When we're talking about jobs, People feel, I think, that's a way to maneuver job security, Um, Mm -hmm. but but it's a false sense of security. There's no such thing as job security. True. And and, and so I think initially, just off the fly there, I think those are just some some of the primary elements why people do that. And as I said, I used to be one of those people, and then I got to the point where I, I just became liberated from all of that. And if I'm the only person in the room that disagrees with what's being said, if I feel I'm right or what's being said doesn't make any sense, then I'm fine with not conforming, and I'm going to be in the minority or the sole minority, and I'm going to say, hey, um, I don't think that makes any sense, or I think that's not going to work, and I'm really not too concerned about what people think about it. But you have to be true to your own self at the end of the day. Because when you're able to look in the mirror and you're happy with yourself and you're proud of what you've said and what you're doing, I mean, i got to live with myself, not all these That's other right. people. That's right. So to thine own self, be true. Yes. Absolutely. And that, that goes right along with it. And, yeah, thank you for that introduction. Thank you for that. And I hope you guys can hear me. I'm driving while I'm talking to you, so... If it's a problem, I can get off the freeway. Okay. So far, I can hear you. Uh, Anthony, how are you on your end? I hear her just fine. I okay. hear her just fine. Okay. So, Ms. Well, Wise, I'm so I, I glad you're you. hearing me just fine. <laughs> because I'm really, enjoying to go. I'm really enjoying talking to Brandy. I'm sorry. You do work there, too, right? <laughs> well, I, 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 Brandy is... The, the anchor of the of the show. So when when she's comfortable talking, I like to lay back. But I have questions for you and much conversation for you. So just let me know when you're ready to talk. <laughs> well, you know I'm always ready. Yeah, I, I know you um, said that you don't want to talk too much about yourself, but it's kind of hard to not speak about you and who you are and what you represent. 
So if I can dig into your personal business for a moment, that would be greatly appreciated. Just a moment. Just a moment. Okay, you have you have an MBA. <laughs> you, you are. I'm sorry. You are I have a what? A MBA. You are one of the rare black females that that have a master's of business administration. What school did you go to to acquire that degree? <laughs> I went. <laughs> I went to. You were so. I, actually, when you say that, I'm laughing because. I, there, there are a lot of women, black women, I think, that have MBAs. Um, I don't, I don't know how familiar I am with women, especially of color, possessing um, a, a master's of business administration. So, by you being in that field, you may be a little bit more familiar of who is who and what is what. But I don't know very many black females with the MBA. Oh, okay. Well, I did my undergraduate work and my graduate work at Los Angeles University. Um, I have a master's degree in business administration. I have a bachelor's degree in organizational management, and I have an associate's degree in management and supervision. Very well educated. Which came from Peralta College in California. Mm-hmm. And it, so it, it you, wasn't easy, but we do what we need to do to compete. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you did that. You did all of those um, degrees of education while raising your two wonderful children. I wish we could get Captain Moore on the line. I, I, I know for a fact they would get a kick off of her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, who knows? Maybe like, when you go to a commercial break, I'll see what she's doing. She'd love to come on okay. and chat with you, I'm sure. I, I know she would, and I would love to chat with her as well. Um, what You used to be a, a, a corporate employee, um, and you chose to leave the world of corporate to go into um, entrepreneurship, which which is where you're doing right now. What gave you the courage to go out on a limb and leave the stability of of a salary to juggle the independent contracts that you work on on a daily basis today? Mm-hmm. Well, my goodness, you know, that's a question. Not as good as Brandy's, but, you know, nonetheless, <laughs> it is a good question. So I, I will answer that. The first time I did that when I left corporate, I worked for a public accounting firm, Deloitte & Touche. And I worked in both marketing and risk management. I worked for a director who was actually stealing my ideas, reports, mm-hmm. and recommendations, and passing them off as his own. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get out of that department and go to marketing full time. But if you were giving a bad performance appraisal, you couldn't go to another department and be promoted. So he wanted to keep me there, of course, since I'm doing all the work. So he gave me a bad performance appraisal. And I confronted him about it because the things that appeared in that report, we wouldn't, we never had any discussion. Right. So anyhow, I thought, okay, fine. That's how you're going to play me. I waited until he went on vacation. I downloaded his laptop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like and a I movie. I love it. I know. Like, I know. Um, so 
I downloaded his laptop and I created a PowerPoint presentation before and after what I what he asked me for, what I sent to him, and how he changed his my name to his. These were his recommendations. I called personnel. I told them I'm going to resign. I'd had it. They were upset about it. They came over to the office where I was. We went in the conference room. I queued up my presentation. Their mouths were open, and they asked me not to sue them. Wow. So I left, and they gave me a large sum of money, and I took a few months off, decided what I was going to do, and that's when I met one of my girlfriends who was a very good friend of mine and has a very successful nonprofit of her own now, and um, we had a collaboration where we started doing consulting work. And we were in California, and we were kind of in the dot-com belt, so we were able to ascertain a lot of clients like Cisco Systems, Siebel Systems, Microsoft, on and on. And um, we actually ran a very lucrative business. But we were very blessed, and the timing was right. And um, when people asked me, my God, how could you leave Deloitte and Touche at that time? Credit cards with no balance, mm. no spending limits, cell phones, expense accounts. And that was way back in the day before those things became prominent and popular. And I always say, well, you know, the Lord told me to leave that job. It was time to go. So that's sort of how I arrived at that point. And I don't think I've ever told you that story, Anthony. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, but corporate America. Very valid. That's a valid. Corporate America is a brutal place. It's brutal. Wow. Yeah. And And I'm trying to cover it. Go ahead, Brandy. No, I was just saying, so she's been groomed. She's had a, you know, she's, it's almost like you have to go through so much, you know, to grow from it. You know, and it started off with this first job that she had and and ended up there. So I I just think that's interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, that's not where I ended up. Oh, it didn't stop you to go back into corporate America or no? Well, that's the first time I left. And then I went back. But when I went back the second time, I went into the public sector, and I worked for a city government. I worked in um, yeah. public yeah. work. Ms. Marsh, Ms. I worked Ms. for a Marsh mayor's office. Pardon? She, she used to be the police. Go ahead. Tell them about that. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the way I got over to the police, they had actually been trying to get me in their agency for several years, and um, the Oakland Police Department was under a federal, oh, let me see, what's a simple way to say this, there was a huge $10 million lawsuit that was brought against the police department. Um, it's a, Actually, it's a very famous case. It's called the Riders. Four rogue police officers were out pretty much beating people down in the black community and other minority communities. They were called the riders, and they were using excessive force, and then they would cover up the fact that they did this in um, witness testimony and reports they were writing. So anyway, to make a long story short, a large lawsuit was brought against the police department, which subsequently sues a city agency. Ooh. So the city, the police department lost the case, 
and a federal court judge, the Department of Justice, worked out a collaborative agreement with them, and they had to conform the department. So I was brought over there to help to manage the conform efforts, and I supervised the compliance division. There were 52 tasks that had to be in compliance, and I managed the oversight on that. I liaisoned with the Department of Justice, a federal court judge on the case, the plaintiff's attorneys, the mayor's office, just a, a number of stakeholders. Oh. Um, it, it was a very high-profile case, and it was a very high-profile job. So it required that I would go to D.C. periodically, to other metropolitan police I actually have a number of publications online that are used as the standard for putting together compliance departments, and there's a technical guide that I also co-authored, which is used as a national standard for on racial profiling. Okay. So that's kind of how that job started there. And then, subsequently, um, the chief of police and a deputy and the federal court judge wanted me to go to the Internal Affairs Department to help to turn that around and make it run more like a public sector office. They wanted it more corporate. So I went over there to change the culture and to reorganize the business and to help get them in compliance. Um, with the federal court lawsuit, how do you, how did you how would you change it into a public sector? How does it go? Uh, well, actually, uh, to corporate. What are some of the key things that needed to change into uh, making that corporate? That's another good question, Brandy. Thank you. My goodness, Anthony, you're going to have to keep up. Um, <laughs> no, nah, she she doing what, what she do. So, that's that's what she does. Yeah, that's what I said. You need to keep up. Okay. I'm trying to lay back. I'm trying to lay back. She's doing what she's supposed to do. All right. Well, make sure you take a note. I would say one of the um, some of the things that I put in place to make it be more corporate. One is consistency on how policies and procedures are implemented. One of the things about that agency was people kind of fly by the seat of their pants. And they're somewhat used to being, how can we say this? I don't know, just to some degree doing what they want to do. They have their own manual of rules and other orders that they have, but they still like to do what they want to do when they want to do it. So we had to be more consistent about how people were disciplined, not only inside but outside of the police department. We also had to bring consistency to how much time we took to convict, to um, conduct investigations. Oh, there were a number that's of important. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes you had time, time limits would expire that you had to conduct an investigation within those time frames and basically case dismissed. And someone oh, could be guilty, not nice. guilty, but because you did not investigate and respond and come up with a finding within a certain amount of time, then it was just, it's out the door. So that was one of the things. But another thing, too, just to bring order to things, a lot of things were not automated. You had people still typing on typewriters. One person was actually using recipe cards to write information on and filing them in one of those small metal boxes. Oh, it it was a nightmare. Files were getting lost. 
original files were leaving the office. So there was it, there was just stuff all over the place. So that was one of the things I did to make sure that there were some standard policies and procedures that were in place and also being followed and also creating automated systems. Let and you did this with the short. Yes, Mr. King. Yeah, let me ask you a question. Something that's going on right now that you should be able to have a very um, experienced opinion on this Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman situation. How much did race play into this situation, in your opinion, or was it just a matter of the law being the law? What What is your position on what's going on with that right now? Mm-hmm. I would say it was both. I think First of all, let, let me address it from a legal aspect. I think allegations that were brought against Zimmerman, I don't think they were able to prove them, and I think it was that simple. And I think the evidence that was presented in the case did not support it. Now, was he wrong? Are you asking me? Do I feel he murdered Trayvon? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's very difficult to prove those type of allegations. And just the allegations that were brought forth, I just don't think they were able to prove them. I think the um, case was weak, unfortunately. Hmm. I think the witnesses could have been a little bit better prepared. And I, I just think I just think their preparation and presentation of the case worked against them. Hmm. Now, secondly, did race and, and racial, and that's just based on the law. I mean, I'm not going to break down all the details, but that's that's just general. That, like I said, it was they couldn't convict him. They didn't have the evidence to support the allegation. Um, and then two, I think they created some reasonable doubt. And you know what the law says about that? If you're going to convict someone, it has to be definitive. It has to be conclusive. There can't be a shred of reasonable doubt. If there is, you can't say guilty. And unfortunately, that's how the law works. It doesn't always work. It doesn't always work well. Racially, I think, yes, I think there were some racial elements, and I think they played out in the media. I felt I didn't watch it. I didn't watch any of the trial proceedings. It was disgusting. It was appalling. I didn't want to see it. But on some of the excerpts that I did see, I felt that Trayvon Martin was on trial. I think they... I think they attempted to cross-examine his character. He wasn't there to defend himself. Exactly. We don't know why he did what he did. We don't know why he reacted the way he reacted. Um, once the dispatcher told Zimmerman not to engage that child, it, it should have been game over. But he that's what, that's what I, That was my argument. What is he doing following him? Okay, he was doing X, Y, and Z. It looked suspicious. But you followed him. Exactly. So that's he where Ray came into play. Mm-hmm. And that's where race came into play. And I've worked with police departments who have actually conducted, and I know he was a toy cop, I know, but, but still some of the principles right. are, and fundamentals are the same. But um, I feel that because of the race issue, he saw him, he had a hoodie on, he's a black youth, oh, he's up to no good. So I think there were some racial aspects there. There were definitely some prejudice aspects there. And it's just like this black kid, he looks like he's up to no good. Let me check him out and follow him and see what he's doing. Um, I, I just think a lot of the details of that case and how Trayvon Martin responded were exaggerated. 
I mean, I don't know. I've been in a number of fights. I, I grew up in Chicago and in other areas where I had to fight a lot. And if someone was fighting to the degree that Zimmerman alleged that Trayvon was responding to him, the mortician that prepared his body said that child had no signs of a fight on him at all. There was nothing underneath his fingernails. He said the only mark he had on his body was the gunshot. Okay. So where was that evidence? Why wasn't that brought forth? So I think there may have been a racial element there. Did they suppress evidence? I don't know. I think that may have been racially motivated, but I think the way it was handled in the media, it was definitely racially motivated. And I just want to conclude by saying I think, and this may be a little, I'm a I think we as black people, so much of our young people are killing one another, shooting at each other. We've gotten so many people of our own color killed in the crossfire. Um, We have babies dying. And I'm glad the focus and attention was brought to the Trayvon Martin case, but I think we need to bring the same passion, concern, and attention to our black people dying, our young black people dying all across the country. We need to be marching about that. We need to be in a a constant uproar about that. There's so much black-on-black crime. Are we addressing it and giving it the same passion, emotion, and attention that we did in the Trayvon Martin case? Hmm. Speaking on that, Ms. Marsh, um, you mentioned earlier that you are from Chicago and you went into this whole thing about the violence. Why do you think that, first of all, let me go back a little bit to your your your, your father and the things that he contributed to the city of Chicago. Why do you think that people are not marching and speaking up and being more involved like they used to be when your father was active in the part of the community that he had an impact on. What is going on right now, in your opinion, that is causing people to take such a laid-back position on the violence that's going on? Not not just in Chicago, but you have extensive exposure to um, some of the rougher parts of California from being involved with the police department. What is it? What's going on that... that people are just settling for the losses that we are taking um, with the community? Anthony, that's a very good question. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I see you're taking notes from Brandy. Yes. Let me answer that. I think, one, I think we've become desensitized. I think we have become acclimated and comfortable with the status quo which has become somewhat of a violent culture, I think until it touches us at our own front door, we're not going to give it the level of attention and concern. I think the civil rights movement ended too quickly. I think the black power movement ended too quickly. I think as a people we need something tangible to identify with, something that's going to move us, something that's going to stir our passion something that's going to remind us of our oneness and that if we're going to overcome this, if we're going to attempt to battle it, if we're going to gain any ground, we're going to have to do it united as a people. So 
Where are the Martin Luther Kings? Where are the Jesse Jacksons from the 60s and the 70s? Where are the Stokey Carmichaels? Where are the James Merediths? Where, you know, we need someone to stand up and take the lead and stir the heart of our people so we can move forward. We need to know it's not all right to be screened out of jobs in Chicago that I can't get a job answering your phone or mopping your floor because I'm black and I don't have a master's degree. We need to understand we're being systematically screened out. We need to let our people know. We need to somehow find a way to publicize this and let the youth know that slavery is still going on. It's the same game. It's a different name. It's called undereducated. It's called miseducated. It's called unemployment. Mm -hmm. And you'll get the same results. So I think, too, parents have got to invest more in your kids. It's an investment. It's a commodity. You have to think about where your kids are going to be 10, 20 years from now, what type of parents they're going to be, what type of husbands and wives they're going to be, what type of spiritual leaders they're going to be, how they're going to be leaders in the community, how they're going to affect other people's children. We just, we're not thinking that far, to, far ahead. We've become this mm -hmm. sort of microwave. It's a microwave subcul um, subculture. We want everything fast, and we want it right now, and it's typically surrounded around self. So we need another civil rights movement. That, that's what we need. Let me um let me play the devil's advocate for a moment, Ms. Marsha, and, and interject this into the conversation. We have a black president coming out of Chicago. I mean, how much more of a civil rights movement can that be than than what it is? Well, that's more on the macro level, Anthony. I mean, he is involved with the issues of a nation, of an entire people that a, a society that's multicultural, multiracial, multi-ethnic. You can't focus on one particular race. I'm talking about black people in general and having a leader to stand up and lead the charge. So when I say a civil rights movement, maybe I should say a black power movement. We need to be empowered as a people. We need to learn some self-respect. We need to have some self-pride. We need to have some pride and image. We need to think, I want my children to have better, to see better, and think about how to go about doing that. So we need to just have some higher standards and values. And we need to start parenting and stop letting our kids raise themselves. And I know I'm painting with some broad strokes, so I'm not trying to generalize and I'm not trying to stereotype, but we know what the issues are what our in-house issues are. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's Let great me, um, to have a black president, but he can't just focus on the black people. It was not just the black people that elected him. Our country, he represents a superpower, North America, and that's made up of all different types of people. So he can't just focus on one race of those people. Mm-hmm. Let me um I'm talking let me about gears real quick. The inside uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me switch gears real quick. Um I, I have something that I wanna say but I I'll I'll bite my tongue for a second on that. I it's another pressing issue <laughs> while we on the subject of while we on the subject of government, um, I wanna go into this thing with Detroit filing bankruptcy 
how much of an effect do you think that's going to have on the entire country um, for a major city? Detroit used to, um, just the city, not the state of Michigan, but the city of Detroit fueled the economy for America with the motor industry at one point in time. For them to now go into bankruptcy, what type of an effect from a financial perspective do you think that will have on the rest of the country? Well, you can see that as two ways. Donald Trump filed bankruptcy. Macy's and Bloomingdale's, when they initially began their companies, um, well, now Macy's owns Bloomingdale's, but they filed bankruptcy. Um, You're taught in graduate school that this is a strategy to protect yourself financially. It's not necessarily seen as a good thing. So I think from what perspective you view it, that's how you're going to see it. Um, You know, it's also about protecting what little bit you have left. So depending on, I don't know how their bankruptcy is going to be structured because there are different types of bankruptcies. Um, You're protecting things from seizure. You are protecting um, your assets from being um, lean. Um, I see bankruptcy primarily as synonymous with protection. So I don't necessarily see it as having that stigma. And also when it's a city, too, when you protect yourself in that manner, um, you are eligible for assistance from agencies, from friends, um, government departments. So I, I think really they're, I believe they're circling the wagons, and I, I just feel it's necessary in this time. Right, because uh, where they're going, they're going for a Chapter Nine bankruptcy, bankruptcy protection. So yes, protection. And yeah, it's about protection. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Brandy. Exactly. <laughs> you're so you are right on. You are right on. <laughs> But, you know, but they're doing but, they're trying but, to do a petition, um, to you know, to seek protection from the creditors and the unions who are renegotiating like eighteen point five billion dollars in debt. So that's a <laughs> that is yeah, because if you don't do that, you're going to go totally under. So mm-hmm. it, it's the last it's the last life preserver that's being tossed. So you know, you got to grab onto it, or either you're going to sink from all that debt. When Obama became president, he gave a stimulus package to uh, the motor companies in Detroit. That wasn't considered to be a, a, a lifeline, and they still had to file bankruptcy. I'm trying to understand what's going on in that situation. Where I don't think it was for the city, though. Okay. Yeah, I think okay. that's well. A lot of people, a lot of people got what was characterized as bailouts. What was being um, marketed to us as a recession was actually academically we were in a depression. But you have to be careful how you spin that because you don't want people to spiral into chaos and start mm-hmm. responding to it. So Obama had to bail them out, especially the mortgage lenders. See, part part of this, it's extensive because now you're talking about lines of credit. Mm-hmm. A lot of products that people buy, they buy them, and, and I'm talking about um, large merchants, people like the auto industry, 
people like the um, lending industry, there's very little paper that's moving. A, a lot of this, it's about credit. It's about lines of credit. It's about collateral, and it's about extensions. And if people can't meet these payments, not only – it's like a ripple effect. If that fails, then a lot of other people who have put money into banks, banks take your money and they loan it to other people. It, it doesn't sit there. So when you have that type of collapse, it, it creates a ripple effect, and a lot of other people are affected by it, mm-hmm. all the way from the large – from the large corporate owner all the way down to the small person who may be, say, a large grocery chain, all the way down to the farmer who's getting the produce there to the market. So if the store can't get the credit it needs, now look at how many people are supplying this store, and if their credit lines become weak or they're canceled, they can't pay all of these other people. And now these people are also creating jobs for other people. These are their livelihoods. This is how families are eating. This is how their families are keeping roofs over their head. So once again, you have to look at the macro picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you know how many people would have been out of jobs if the auto industries would have gone out of business? Just exactly. that fast alone, it's overwhelming. That's right, because I was right there in the some- heart of it. Yeah, I have some family members who we used to go visit, Very a very close um, connected section of my family is from Detroit. And we used to go and visit them when we were younger, all the way up until, you know, some years, maybe like about 10 years ago. And Detroit has always been a very uh, hard city to... Um, to, to visit for me because it was so run down and so um, condemned, so many abandoned buildings and just very hard um, neighborhoods in, in the city of Detroit. This does not seem like something that has this new. Um, they had some troubles with, with the mayor, um, Kwame, a few years back where he was convicted of a felony. I mean, what is it about the city of Detroit that's, drawing so much negative attention, especially here lately to the point where they have to file bankruptcy. I'm sure that there are many other struggling societies within America that need assistance. What is it about Detroit, which was such a strong financial hub at some point in time? I still remember going, um, driving on the highway, seeing that big Goodyear tire um, as we enter into the city of Detroit. What is going on there that is causing so much strain on on the economy for such a long period of time? Well, I would say it's not necessarily just concentrated to the Detroit area, but there were some surrounding areas. We used to have factories like, um, well, the steel mills. There were Mm. places like Bendix Brakes, um, John Deere. Um, a, a lot of it was very factory oriented, and that's what actually drove a lot of minorities, was primarily black people, into the middle class. When you're talking about socioeconomics, and not just those factories, but the um, post office too, it helped to get a lot of us into the um, socioeconomic level of middle class. So what happens is, 
when you have that type of correlation and it's removed and when you take people from one class level to another class level and you don't tell them how to invest and diversify their money and put it here and there and they buy one little house and they're just making house payments and they're not doing anything else with their money and then what happens is when that income collapses, um, I think that's what started to destroy the housing market there. And then what happened, like I mentioned some, I mentioned the company Bendix Breaks, there's something called Capital Flight. And a lot of why that started is because the unions got so powerful in demanding benefits and money and other type of amenities for its employees, and it got to such a ridiculous amount, the corporations got tired of negotiating with them, so they started building factories down south and in second and third world countries where you can get higher production, but you pay lower costs. So you had a lot of that going on, too. And then within the government, unfortunately, and I've seen this <laughs> up close and personal from having worked in finance and in a budget office, you have a lot of people in there who just mismanage the money. Mm -hmm. um, you have times when you have fat times and people take that money and they mismanage it. They have fat expense accounts. They get cell phones that they don't need. They take all types of trips that they don't need to go on. They do things for staff that are elaborate. They like to show off to their constituency and other direct supporters, and they just waste money. It's incredible, the amount of money that's wasted in government. So I don't know the, the local Detroit government, but I just know how government functions, unfortunately, a lot of them. And there have actually been a lot of cities that are close to bankruptcy, but what they do instead of going bankrupt, they start laying people off, they start furloughing people, and I think when you exhaust all of your internal options, which I'm sure they did, you know, this is, the, this is what it comes to. So I think it's been capital flight. There, It's been the closure of a lot of these factories, and I think it's been the mismanagement of money by local government. And also, you've got the housing market. Like I said, a lot of people were propelled into middle class. They took that money. They bought their homes. They didn't diversify their investments. And when the job was gone, the houses were gone. Subsequently, they were um, foreclosed on or they were taken back for property taxes, and hence you have all these abandoned homes. Mm. So, you know, it, it's a number of things, I think, that have collaboratively worked together to collapse that market. Hmm. But what do yeah. I know? You know, that, that's just my take on it. Hmm. You know a hmm. lot. That's what, that's what I ask. That's what I ask. Yeah. Um. So, Miss Marsh, you have come on to the show. You have about ten minutes left, but actually, like nine minutes before we go into a commercial break and bring our next guest on to the show. Um, do you have anything that you would like to speak on, or anything that you would like to address before we let you go? Now you know I do. <laughs> <laughs> One of, one of the things that we have not spoke on, and you know I have to say it, I have to talk about the goodness of God. I, I just have to. Mm -hmm. And I know some people hear this and they, oh, God, not again. But but I'm going to tell you, and for you too, and I don't know where you are in your walk, 
Mm -hmm. or I I, I don't know. But I've got to tell you and anybody that is listening, if you've ever doubted, if you've ever wondered, if your faith is low, if your faith is wavering, God is so real. I don't know everything, but I've been through enough in my life to know when the hand of God is moving and is working and how awesome he is and his saving power his grace, his mercy that he bestows upon us when we don't even deserve it. Mm -hmm. And it is when you hear people like Oprah Winfrey on her very last show say all the glory, all the glory to God. When you hear people like, and, and we know about her humble beginnings and the molestation challenges and other challenges she's had in her life, but through all of that, God brought her up, he restored her, he delivered her, and she gives him all the glory. To people like Tyler Perry, to people like Donnie McClurgan, who have gone through all they've gone through, similar issues, and now they, they're successful and they stand tall and they talk about how God has delivered and restored them. I mean, I've been through many things in my life, and I'm telling you, it would have torn most people down for good permanently, but it's only because of God's love and his grace and his mercy and his restoration and deliverance powers that I can stand and give him the praise and the honor that he is due. And and that's how I lo- and that's how I like to close because I take absolutely no vain glory out of any of this. It is all the honor, all the praise. Mm. <laughs> hallelujah. It's all hallelujah. because of him. And he's, ooh, hallelujah, he's, yeah. he's do it all. But people just understand he's real, and if you seek him, the word says, seek and you shall find. He says, knock and the door shall be answered. He said, you have not before you because you ask not. And all I say is challenge him on what it is he says he will do and seek him diligently. And if you bow down humbly, before the mighty hand of God, there is absolutely nothing that he won't do for you. Wow. Amen. Amen. Miss Mark. And, and I'm sorry, you know, I get choked up. You know, I get choked up when I get started because mm, when you can walk the walk and when you can have that type of relationship with him, it is just, mm, I'm trying not to break into a praise break and start shouting right now. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and yeah. shout. That's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Go ahead and no, shout. Go ahead yeah. and shout. Yeah, he's just, we we serve a mighty God, people. We serve, those of us who choose to serve him, we serve a mighty God. We serve an awesome God. Ooh, he is so worthy to be praised. Mm. Let, let me ask you a he question, Mark, about, about this um, this praise and this this. this uh, let me ask you a serious question. Now, this is something that this is not something that I I, I may not already know, but something my, something in my spirit put this on my heart to say to ask you right now. What about mm-hmm. those people? What about those people who have suffered greatly, like Joe? Mm. Women who have lost their sons at an early age to the violence in the streets people who have had to endure very serious situations like family members being on drugs or, you know, something that just seems like it's never going to end or be able to 
overcome to to be able to overcome how do you how do you say to them trust God when they're going through something so serious that it seems like they may be living in hell how How do you say to them keep praising the Lord and trust trust God when life is so horrible for them mm-hmm. at 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 some point in time? Well, I would say, as I say to anyone, you have to seek God for yourself. And we know how they did Jesus Christ when he walked the earth. And the word tells us all those who live godly are going to suffer persecution. And there are things that go on down here because not everybody is saved. Not everybody's going to heaven, unfortunately. And there are those who, and I believe, though, if you were righteous, the word tells us the fervent, effectual, effectual prayer of the righteous availeth much. So I believe if we are praying in that manner and we are praying for people, I believe God will deliver. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that. But the word tells us the condition of the world we live in. There's never been a perfect world. If you read the Bible, everything you just said, Anthony, all these circumstances were always going on. All these conditions were always in place. And you mentioned Job, for example. Job was a man after God's own heart. And the devil can't do anything. And the, and what went on with Job, it was a satanic supernatural attack. But the devil had to go to God and ask if he could do it. It was a test. Mm-hmm. But God told him, do your worst to him, but don't touch him, meaning you can't take his life. And I bet you he will curse you and won't serve you. But what did Job do? Even when his wife told him to cuss God and die, Job basically told him, I'm paraphrasing, back up off me because if this is the will of God, I accept it. And up in here, we don't serve the Lord. And what did he do? Job held on, even with his friends coming and Mm. telling him, man, I don't know, it ain't looking good. Where's God at now? He ain't helping you. But you know what Job did? Job stood firm. He remained faithful. And what did God do? God restored Job. He He had new kids, better looking kids. He had more cattle. He had more servants. He had three times what he did before the devil took it. So, that's why when we are in the middle of adversity, when we're in the middle of the storm, we have to start praising God now. Don't wait till he delivers you. Don't wait till he restores you. That's why he's also known as Jehovah Jireh, our faithful provider. Know that if he takes you to it, he's going to take you through it. Mm-hmm. But you've got to hold on. He's the, the, word tell, the Bible says, never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. The word also says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to wait. And in God's time, I just truly believe it. That's the will of God. He's going to restore people. So let's not look at what goes on around us. Let's not look at the size of our problems. Let's look at the size of our God. Let's magnify him to a degree that we just got a praise and worship going on 24-7. And I truly believe that whatever's going on around us, these murders, these killings, God's allowing it to go on for some reason because he's a God of order. And I don't think haphazard things go on for no reason. So what we need to do 
is we need to humble ourselves before him. We need to repent. We need to pray. And we need to ask God to open our eyes and have us understand why this is going on. Because he may be doing it so his people can get ready for his coming. He's letting you know. See, once we die, that's it. It's over. You don't have any more chances to get it right with him. Mm. So let's look at our walk. Let's look at where we are in God. And do you and you don't have to answer the question, but when our eyes close, do we know where we're going? Can we say without a doubt where we're going? Because you're going to one place or the other. It's up to you. So let's look at all that's going on around us, wonder why God's allowing it to happen, and let's get it right with him. Hmm. Hmm. All right, Ms. Marsh. Thanks for the church, then. You did, you did. Yes. That's right. <laughs> I needed that. Mm. I needed that. He's real. Anthony knows it. You're welcome. He's real. Seek Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. Seek him. Yeah, he's very real, especially in your life. That's one of the things that I appreciate about you. Um, Your relationship with God is definitely real. Um, You have a special relationship with God, and sometimes, you know, people may take you for granted because of the relationship that you do have with God. People people may not recognize it. I know I have um, definitely <clears throat> underestimated your the strength of your relationship with God and your ability to see and understand and hear his voice. So I, I greatly appreciate you um, for taking time out to do this. And, and I know that it took some humbling for you to be able to do it considering some of the things that have gone on um between you, you and myself. So I, I greatly I, I greatly appreciate that and, and I thank you and I wanna apologize to you on air if you were offended by anything that was said or that went on concerning the show and I and I just appreciate you very much for taking time out to do this today. It means more to me than you than you could ever imagine. That is the truth. Yeah. Well, and I just want to thank, thank you as you. well. And I thank you both um, for having me on it just quickly because I know our time is up. But I just want to say quickly, I accept your apology. And as an open proclamation as a Christian, I am supposed to be forgiving as the God I serve is so forgiving to us. So if you say you're a child of the high king, you need to act like your daddy and exhibit some of those traits and characteristics. So I say I accept your apology, and as I said early on, we're going to let bygones be gone. Mm. Okay, okay. I, I want to ask you, I have I have a couple of more questions before we let you go. I'm actually waiting for our next guest to um, to call in. No to problem, Anthony. Uh, I, I see that he has, I see that he has called into the switchboard, so we are not going to, um, Take up too much of his time before before we um before we bring him in. Um, you said our guest is on the switchboard or someone else? Yeah. No, the the next guest is on the switchboard. Uh, Jamie, hold on one second. Let us let us conclude with Miss Marsh going to a commercial break, and then we're gonna bring you right back in. Thank you for holding on. I appreciate that greatly. Um, but Miss Marsh, let me um. <laughs> Let me ask you another question before we before we get you off the line. 
Um, sure, go ahead. How hard is it being an independent business owner nowadays, depending on each contract and check that you get um, according to the work? What What is something that you could give our listening audience as direction and inspiration to keep the businesses going that, that we have started and, and dedicate our daily daily survival on. What what are some of the things that you have to offer um for us right now at, that we have you on the on the line? Um, quickly what comes to mind first of all, I would say networking and building relationships. If you meet people that you feel have connections or very well connected, and they ask you for something small. For example, I'm looking for this type of consultant or I'm interested in obtaining a certain type of grant or loan. Do you know anything about that? And even if I don't sometimes, I'll say, you know, I think I do. Let me have your card and I'll get back to you. I always get back to those people within 24 to 48 hours. They appreciate that and they remember that. Then periodically... I'll drop them emails, and then as we start to email, they'll have events or functions. They'll invite me to it, and we start to build a relationship. So I think, and that's just a very general example of how I may encounter people, but don't see them as simple encounters. As you meet have a business card to give them, get their business card. And even if they don't ask you for anything, just send them a quick little email. If there's some type of event you have going on, invite them because they know people. And I have built up my client base that way, not just by trying to keep a particular client happy, but because they've introduced me to other people. So it's about relationships. It's about building the relationship, expanding on that relationship, and networking. And I say just don't take that lightly. And you got to spend some time cultivating those relationships and maintaining them. I think that's important to the business. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Marsh. And one more question. One more question. I, I'm, I'm, I, I talk to you on a consistent basis, but while we have you on the uh, on the line, that's why I have so much want... aspirin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I was. I I'm thought I was a relief. Not, I thought I was a relief, not a um, not a headache. You, you heard my I'm being facetious. I'm being facetious, sweetie. You know that. I, I know but you, you are. But you know I had to let um, you have it. But you know I had to let you have it. Go, go ahead. No, you you actually being very kind um, because I, I do know that you were very upset with me about some things that had gone on um, on the show. So I greatly appreciate your graciousness. Um. Humility like is a good acquired habit. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, sweetie. Um, I'm, I'm listening. The music business, marketing for for the music business. Um, <laughs> you got your pen ready? Okay, go ahead. No, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna give away no free game. I just want to know: is that something <laughs> that, that you think? <laughs> is that something that you think? Um, a lot of people are not doing. Do you think that the Chicago market is is 
is ripe for the picking. Coming from California, the, the hub of the entertainment world, um, what do you think a lot of the other regions are not doing that people in California are capitalizing off of? Do you want me just to speak to the music industry or just industry in general? You 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 do you, want, you you take the question and do with it what you would like to do. You know my reason for asking about the music because that's something that you are assisting exactly. me with. But we we have more than just <laughs> music opportunities on the line, so you can speak from the right. perspective of entertainment as well. Okay, I would say, and I have this conversation with potential clients and existing clients quite a bit. Marketing and advertising are crucial crucial. It is a lifeblood of a business, in my opinion. And many times with most companies, it is the biggest line item in the budget. And my dad used to always say, and it's it's cliche-ish because I've heard it so much since then, but you got to spend money to make money. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't want to do that. But when you spend that money, it's an investment. You've got to get your product out there. You've got to make it an easy, recognizable product. You've got to do. You've got to develop marketing strategies. You need to have something as simple as a logo, and you. I mean, you just got to make your business easily identifiable. But you still need to do things to keep yourself heads and shoulders above the competition, and that requires marketing and advertising. You do things like market analysis, other types of studies, because you need to know what the competition is doing and how they're doing it, and you either need to be doing it at that same level or better because this is free enterprise, and people are always after your clients and looking to take your business. This is, um, I mean, that we, we live in a capitalistic society, and those are some things at the base of it. So marketing and advertising, they're crucial. If people don't know you do what you do, how are they going to get to you? Why are they going to patronize you? If you've got somebody else out here advertising, even if it's just on a Facebook page or on a website, if you don't have a website, in most cases, people don't even think you have any credibility. So there are just some basic things you really need to have and you need to be doing. So one thing in California, um, living out there, People, I don't know, I don't want to generalize, but people do business a lot differently. I find that people work together a little bit more collaboratively. They're a little bit more cutting edge. They're, they seem to be more willing to take risks. It's not as segregated as it is here. You will see groups of people of different races, nationalities, et cetera, working together with a lot more ease. Out here, it's a little bit more segregated, so you have a little bit more, I like to call it, open-air collaborativeness, and you don't find that here. Mm. Um, It's just regionally, it's just different. And then you have people who come to California who it's still to them the land of milk and honey as opposed to at one point it was just coming to the U.S. California has looked at that way because it's considered the melting pot. So people go there to succeed, especially minorities and people of other races. So they work two to three times as hard because they know if they're investing hard right now, they're trying to make it easier for future generations. So you have those type of desires that fuel 
different races as well, and it trickles over into business. You have a lot of family-owned businesses out there because they've come together in the manner that I've just described. They're there. Basically, those people are there to succeed, many of them. And they understand you've got to market, you've got to advertise. They're, they're doing it all the time. And they're telling you why they're, even at a simple nail shop, you go there, who's been doing your nails? Oh, they're not doing a good job. This is what we do. This is how we do it. Oh, they're only open six days? Well, we're open seven days. Oh, I'll come to your house. What, I mean, it's, and also, lastly, the customer service aspect, coupled with the heavy marketing and advertising, you just you can't touch it. Even at a fast food restaurant, the degree to which they market and advertise and the customer level of customer service, they, they just don't touch it out here. So it's regional, and I think it's, it's subcultural in many places. And, nor, and I did say subcultural because you have a lot of minorities who work together to bring forth this type of effort. They, they, go there to succeed. they go there to succeed. It's like California is synonymous with success. And I will tell you from my own experience, if you go there and work hard, you can get paid. Okay. Hmm. Look at that. Hmm. All right, Ms. Marsh, um, we, we, we have to let you go because I do have another guest um, lined up. But I would like for you to have Captain Mo to call in and um and, and talk to us during that during, during that segment because we have someone um very well connected in the music industry up next from the East Coast and I would like for her to I would like to introduce her to him so that they can um join forces with that West Coast, East Coast connection. Maybe we can um bring Biggie and Tupac back. Um <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see if we'll see if she can uh, pick up her iPhone from the Jag and talk to you. You know, oh, <laughs> yeah. Tell her, tell her to call. Tell her to call into the show. See if she's not busy. Um, have her to call in for a second. We are. Um, we gonna let you go. I know you're busy. Um, but I oh yes, appreciate I am. This. I know. I know you, you are extremely so busy. Yeah. Yep. Um, All right. Thank you for empowering the women. It was very good speaking with you. You're doing an excellent job. Excellent questions. You're doing a great job. Hopefully, Anthony can keep up. My God. (laughs) You guys are um, hilarious. (laughs) And and Anthony, as always, you are so welcome. And um, you guys take care. Good luck to you with everything you're doing there. And um, I'll see if I can catch up with Captain Mo and have her call in. Thank All you, right. Ms. Marsh, and we will we will definitely um be reaching out to you. The 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 your portion of the show was, was very interesting. I had someone to text me, um, a young lady from Indianapolis, Ms. Jackson saying that this was great information. So we greatly appreciate you um sharing with us and giving us the opportunity to speak with you. Please um you know, stay tuned and be and continue to be supportive of the show. You are greatly appreciated. That's true. All right, call me for the company picnic now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll talk, talk to you guys to you. later. Thank you. All right, talk to you later. <laughs> You're welcome, sweetie. Bye bye. Okay, bye bye. All right, Jalisa, right, you're um.
Your mic is live. We're going to go to a commercial break real quick so that we can um, take care of the people who take care of us, and we will have you back on the show when we come back from the commercial break. Is that okay? Sounds great. Okay, hold on one second. Let us let us do the commercial for a second. No problem. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback. Sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and a gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuff shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, Okay, we are back from commercial break. Um, Brandy Jackson, are you there? Live and close. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. I um, I want to bring in our next guest, Jamik Rodriguez. He has a very interesting company um, that I would like for him to share with us the the meaning of the of the company. It's actually a pretty good throwback um, to a word that everybody should be familiar with, uh, yuppie, young urban professionals. Jamik Rodriguez, your mic is live. Welcome to yeah. the Wilk Show. Yeah, how you doing, Anthony? I just wanted to say uh, thank you again for having me on the show, first and foremost. Uh, Brandy, how you doing? I, I was on the show, you know, last time with Hot Steppers, so I just wanted to say it's good to be back around. Yes, welcome back, welcome back. I remember your name, and so it, it stands out. It's memorable. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, in regards to uh, my organization, um, as Anthony mentioned, it's called Young Urban Professionals, and it's actually a uh, spinoff of the old term yuppie, which um, stood for Young Urban Professionals, um, and these are people who are between the ages of 18 and 30, who attain elite educations, they have professional careers, they have a studied poise, they care about the way they carry themselves, but they still participate in urban culture and they still participate in um, the urban lifestyle. So that's what our organization was founded on those principles because I found that, you know, the definition was strictly related to um, Caucasian 
uh, people of the Caucasian race. But I uh, once I saw the definition, I was like, it shouldn't be limited to just, you know, it should be for everybody because everyone mm-hmm. can fit that criteria. So once, uh, you know, I brought that to my co-founder, Dwayne, Dwayne Rowe, uh, we just, you know, decided to build something around it because it resonated so well with us, being that we saw ourselves as young urban professionals. Beautiful. Well needed. Well needed. Yeah, so now where are you located? Up, man. Go ahead. Go ahead. What's Brad? going on? Oh, I was just saying, uh, so where are you uh, located right now with the company? Well, right now we're um, we're based heavily in New York City and and then also in Albany, New York. We were actually founded in Albany, New York, um, on the University of Albany campus, and then we actually branched out into New York City. So those are the two places that we're operating heavily in right now, and we're in the midst of uh, expanding a, a little further as well. Okay. Okay. And when you say you're looking to expand, where are you looking to expand into? Honestly, if uh. If I was to just give you the long term, I would say I'm I'm trying to take it around around the world. That's what that's my that's my personal um, you know dream. I, w- I would love to see it get that far because I, I know that there are urban communities around the entire world that can use it. But you know you got to take it one step at a time. So we're going to um, be expanding on the East Coast right now. Uh, Washington D.C. is our next our next staple that we'll be attacking to set up uh, you know a strong staple there. So. Um, yeah, you know, we're just trying to – I'm just going to start in the East Coast, and then we're just going to hopefully take over the rest of the world after that. Now, when you, uh, when you say take over, uh, what is it that you want to see change? What do you want to see changed with this company? Well, yeah, well, with Young Urban Professionals, what, what I found was, like, you know, just doing some reading and things like that, just observing my environment, I, I see that, you know, there's, you know, like – the, the last caller said there's a lot of people um, in the urban community, especially young black men, um, who are getting into a lot of crime, they're getting into trouble, killing each other. And I personally feel like they're, they're doing these things because they have no – there's no infrastructure in place in the communities to show them otherwise. It's like how do you tell someone to do something else when you're not even showing them the other option? Oh. So I feel like having an organization in the urban in any urban community where the 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 urban kids of the community can resonate with the organization and they feel comfortable, like okay, wow, this is something that you know I I see myself doing, I see my brothers doing. They have they play music, they do fashion shows. That's all urban, but at the same time we show you the professional world. So we're taking you out of just you know being in the streets and being non-progressive, and we're trying to basically progress every aspect of the urban life for um, all urban residents. Okay. Hmm. So you, you you went to a school upstate New York, right? You just graduated from college not too long ago, right? Yes, I graduated uh, last last May from uh, University of Albany. Congratulations. Oh, Congratulations. Thank you, thank yeah. you. Um, and I, I, we never discussed this, but... Someone told me that your father is Ross Anonymous. Is that true? Yes, yeah, that is my father. <laughs> wow. Okay, okay. And um, for those that don't know, he's a, a veteran in, in the reggae world, um, very well connected individual in the in the in the reggae music community. You have a 
a Hispanic last name and a Jamaican first name. That's that's a hell of right. a combination right there. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the that, that's the Cuban that's the Cuban and Jamaican mix right there. It's, it's pretty rare. I don't see too many people with that kind of that kind of mix, you know. <laughs> wow. Wow. How how well, have you how have you been able to establish the network that you have done at such an early age? One of the things that impressed me with you and, and why I extended myself to you in such an aggressive manner from the very start of us being introduced to each other is because you you coordinated a very hard show, one of, one of the busiest shows that we have done um, from this season so far. It was not very easy to coordinate all of the people that you had come on to the show, such big names and, and such, you know, ordinary people all in the same, all in the same moment. How have you established that type of a network at this early of an age? Yeah, well, you know, it, it kind of really all started when I was around about 18 years old. Um, my friends and I, we just congregated and we started just having um, parties like we started throwing parties at nightclubs in, in New York City so I, I was 18 and I can tell you right now like, I look nothing like my age I look way younger than I than I actually look so at 18 I looked like I was 15 16 years old but I was going into clubs uh, you know signing contracts with club owners and then our parties over the years got bigger and bigger and then um, from from the parties we kept doing parties and then we expanded into our nonprofit organization and then um, once we just – the storm kept brewing, and then one of my brothers went out to uh, Washington, D.C., and we spread out there. Then one of my – the people in my organization, they got into the Source magazine, and then we just kept expanding. So, you know, it really just all started from throwing parties and getting gaining that network because um, me throwing parties was – it just taught me how to network just with my peers. So well, once I was able to transfer it into the professional world as well, I was able to, you know, build a network – at uh, you know, in a, in a small amount of time, I built a very good network. Mm-hmm. Brandy, do you have any questions? Because I have a lot. I have a lot that I want to um, <laughs> talk to him about. So before I go into it, I just want to see what what you have. Um, uh, you know, um, I'm I'm kind of just uh, listening as well. Um, I'm just kind of curious, when you first started, did you have challenges? I mean, because when you first start creating parties, um, the, sometimes the attendance isn't always that great. Or is it oh, that yeah. um, or is it that you already had such a huge network, it was just like a snap of a finger? Oh, no, absolutely not. We, we took so many. I think we took more losses in the mm-hmm. beginning throwing parties than we did when, meaning that we took, you know, we lost money more than we made money. Uh but you know that's just part of it. Like you that's have to part pay your it. dues. I feel like in anything yeah. you have to pay your dues before you can succeed to the next level. So yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't you know all all gravy in the beginning. But as time went on, you know we took some lumps out the gravy. Mm, okay. Hmm. The nonprofit. What what type of nonprofit do you uh, do you operate? Well, it's a. Uh, the 501c3 nonprofit, basically, if I were to categorize it as a, it's like a, it's a holistic organization because I couldn't categorize it as an educational nonprofit or a recreational because we do all of those things. We'll we'll have an event 
where we have a resume builder where, you know, we, we're teaching kids um, from fifth grade up until 12th grade what a resume is and what goes on a resume. And then we'll have an event where we'll have a fashion show. You know, that's the social, cultural aspect of young urban professionals. And then we'll have another event where we're doing workouts with people on campus where, you know, everyone comes and does insanity workouts. So, you know, we it's like a holistic organization where we approach the whole lifestyle of being a young urban professional. That's serious. Yeah, that is serious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is serious. Okay, you mentioned the Source magazine. What right. role does the Source magazine play in that nonprofit organization? I'm, or, or is the person um, from your team connected to the to the young urban professionals? Is, yeah. is that the well, is that the not for profit the young urban professionals? Yes, young urban professionals is 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 a nonprofit organization, and um the and the when we throw parties at all of our event planning and things like that, it's under Millennial Entertainment. Uh, Millennial is just the name for our generation. Anyone born between 1982 and 2003, they're considered a in Generation Y, aka a millennial. So we just have we feel like we represent that generation as far as entertainment goes. And uh, many other fields. But, now, why, um, I, why I missed that mark by one one year? <laughs> <laughs> Close, right? Oh, yeah, boy. you know, I just, just you know, I feel like you know, it's a, a catchy name, and it does represent who I am, and it does represent a whole generation that's coming up right now um, that I feel like is will be responsible for the direction in which the world is going to go in the future. Obviously, you know, they, we're going to be the ones in the office in the next twenty years and things like that. So. You know, I just feel like we represent our generation. Mhm. Okay. Mhm. You um, are you still? What What are you doing now? Is Is it just a not for profit now that you have graduated? Have you gained employment since your graduation? Yeah, like, yeah. I actually, uh, as soon as I graduated, I, I was going through three months of like depression. I was, you know, a- anyone who graduates college knows as soon as you graduate college. And it's like, you know, the loans start kicking in and, you know, you're back home now. You're not living on your own now. So it's like you have no job. So it's like you're, you feel like you're at the bottom. But I actually got a job at Harlem RBI, which is a uh, nonprofit organization as well, one of the top 100 nonprofits in the country. Um, and I was a learning coach there, an after-school learning coach. Uh, I got to say one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life, just working with 20 kids on a daily basis. Um, from the inner city projects Harlem and Harlem, New York. So, you know, they're coming right out of environments where people people who are adults don't experience some of the things that these kids experience. So just being a, a, a positive role model for them, especially the young males, um, that is, you know, definitely one of the best jobs I've had in my life. But that ended um, in May. And right now I'm um, creative director of music and fashion for the upcoming film Hot Steppers. So that's what I'm focusing my time on right now, as well as still coordinating events for Yup and um, Younger Professionals and Millennials. So, uh, so mm-hmm. that again, the creative director of, and what else? Uh, creative director of music and fashion for the Hot Steppers movie, uh, okay. as well as the nonprofit and Millennial Entertainment. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, what what do you think about? What Jay Z just did with his uh, platinum release of the Magna Carta on the um, Galaxy Network. What what do you think? Uh, 
do you think that had an impact on on how hip hop is done today? Yeah, I actually think you know that the whole album itself, what it symbolized to me, I think it it, it goes very under the radar. Um, as far as you know, like you said, the millions through Samsung is just you know it's just genius business. You know, it's just a genius business mind to plan things like that because if if Samsung buys a million copies off you for five dollars, you know, now the money that you get from that Samsung deal, now you can buy radio stations out for the next whole day. So when your album drops, you clear out radio stations where they're playing your music for the entire day, yet, you know, it didn't come out your pocket, things like that. So, but I feel like the album itself and what it stood for, um, some people don't even know what the Magna Carta is itself. The Magna Carta is a document, is the first document, well, it's the first documented letter where the people tried to overthrow the king because they thought that the king was abusing their power uh, and not um, basically not adhering to the needs of the people. So I feel like for Jay-Z to take that step on his album and make that kind of statement along, uh, alongside putting his album cover next to the original Magna Carta in England for the entire month of July, um, dropping his album on Independence Day, which is supposed to be America's Day, he actually mm. made it about his day. Um, mm. And, you know, all, all of this is not coincidence, like, you know, he's a bright man, so these are strategic things where I felt, I, I felt the direction he was going, as well as the content on the album, he's trying to rile black people, um, and he's he's the number one person in the black community outside of Barack Obama who can have such an impact on changing the direction, especially of black males. Okay. Now, um, you got involved with Source Magazine. How did that connection occur, and what is it that you're doing with Source Magazine now? Because I noticed that you're um, you're speaking highly on, you know, hip hop music, politics, and culture, and right. that really relates directly to the Source Magazine, which has been around since uh, I don't know the the late the eighties, yeah. right? Yeah. So how, how did that connection occur well, between you and the Source? My, uh, and what are you doing? One of my colleagues, when one of my colleagues, his uh, name is Jonathan Jonathan Hines. Um, he, we, you know, we've been throwing parties together since we were eighteen. And, um, you know, so we've been working together, and he actually had, uh, got the job at The Source. He's the campus rep coordinator for The Source magazine. So initially, initially our relationship was based on uh, the organization and the campus rep and how he, we can get The Source to collaborate with my organization on campus, whether it yep, be, you right. know, just providing media for certain events. So you can really see the source of hip-hop, because if you look at the name, the source, you have to find the root of where everything is coming from. So, you know, by the time things get to the mainstream, it's no longer the source. So, you know, you have to find you have to find the root um, where everything is coming from. So that's, you know, we began as just a collaboration on, on the campus, but now we're moving in other directions where I have the source. They have exclusive behind-the-scenes um, footage of the uh, filming of the Hot Steppers movie, things like that. So, you know, we're just working together on all, we're just cross-marketing, working together on all plateaus, however we can both progress. Okay. Okay. Will you be um, okay. pretty much joining forces with them? Excuse me? I'm sorry, can you say that again? Will, will you be joining forces with the Source magazine? Or is it pretty, um, pretty much I, like an I would, affiliate? I would, I, I would like to. I, you know, right now we're at an affiliate level, but, you know, I, I don't say... I don't put a, a glass ceiling on anything. I feel like, right. you know, as long as the timing is right and, mm -hmm. you know, the opportunity presents itself, I don't see why it wouldn't happen if it benefits both parties. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we are actually working 
um, on a show um, on the Kings right. 107 network that um, promotes music. Um, I, I I love the logo. I haven't had a chance to um, do anything with it just yet, but I, I love the logo. How you how you how you put everything together. Um, when I last spoke with the uh, producers from the Keys, one of their main concerns was the content of the music and whether or not it would right. fit onto um, the network, being that they tried to keep a, for lack of a better term, PG-13 um, mm-hmm. status for for their shows. Um, that was one of the first things we discussed when we started talking about the show. How right. will how, how and and you you mentioned to me that that was also one of the virtues that you project with the company that you represent. So it shouldn't be a problem. Right. But how, how right. do you think we'll be able to screen who comes on to the show and what they do um, to to maintain that level of um, innocence on the show? Right. Because there 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 are some some teenagers involved with the production of the show, and I don't think that they want them to be um, exposed to vulgar content or, um, you know, insulting language. How how, how will we control that aspect of the show? Well, you know, number one, uh, as far as people submitting, you know, music goes, as far as people submitting new music, any music that gets submitted to us, is is going to be screened before we even allow it to even be right. sent to get on air. You know, it's it, and the thing is, my uh, what what we represent at Millennial is all about forward progress. It's you know, um, but you know, I, I and I never want to abandon what's true and what's real because I feel like once you abandon what's true and what's real and something loses its authenticity, then people they begin to not resonate with it as much. So it's about walking a fine line between being authentic and being as real and true to hip hop as possible, but but promoting a more positive message, uh, you know, with the same appeal as you know a regular song that may not have the most positive message. But like you know, like like I said, we would just pre-screen. We would get you know all the music, and I'm not biased. You know, we're not going to be biased to any kind of music at all. As long as the language is appropriate and it's not demeaning to anyone, it's not um, you know any kind of really discriminatory, like blatantly discriminatory thing. Because people can have their opinions. We have a freedom of speech in America, so I cannot mm-hmm. tell people you know what they can and cannot say and what their opinions are. But just to make it on our uh, our specific show that we're that we plan on collaborating on, you know, it's just a certain level of material that we're going to put out, and we're going to let that be known before people even think that they will get on air and and not have a, a certain level of innocence, as Anthony said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your your position on where music is today, um, well, where do you think my position an upstart artist, where do you think an upstart artist has, before you, 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 you had these record companies doing you know, large deals with individuals who started their own companies or who had a superior talent. Where do you think the labels are at right now, or is it best for an artist to remain independent? How do you think that works nowadays? 
Well, you know, personally, I feel like it, it, it depends on what your motive is as an artist. I feel like if, if, if your motive as an artist is to just be um, famous and you just want people to know you and you want to look like you have money uh, or you want to, you know, just live a, a certain lifestyle, I feel like, you know, getting a record deal is what works for you. And I feel like those are the people that the record mm-hmm. deals, you know, they get a lot of. Um, I personally feel like, you know, it, 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 like, it depends on who you are. If, if you're someone who doesn't care about the fame and you're not trying to make it number one on the Billboard charts, you should 100% stay independent Okay. because you have 100% to the mm-hmm. rights of everything you sell. So even if you, you know, we, we have a digital age where people can sell 700,000 albums independently, mm-hmm. you know, and then they get all the money back off of that where you're already a millionaire um, without a label seeing anything, you know. So I, I personally believe as an upcoming artist, the route to take would be independent, and the only kind of deal I would do would be like a distribution deal. Um, but I, I would want 100% ownership of my music. Hmm. I, yeah, I like that concept there. That makes sense. you got to figure out what what is it that you really want. Do you want to make money? Do you want to be seen more than anything? You want that life? <laughs> you want to be about yeah, that exactly. life, that, per that, se? That's what it is. <laughs> A lot, a lot of people, they just get caught up in the life where, you know, they'll, they'll sell a million records, but they only get $100,000 in their pocket. Exactly. And, but yeah. because they're number one of the charts, people perceive them a certain way when it's not even the case. So. Right. And what so, artists are, are you following right now that are, um, sort of say, quote, unquote, the roots? Well, People I follow right now, one one uh, one person I listen to a lot is uh, his name is Joey Bad. I can't say the last part of his name, but Joey Bad, he, out of Brooklyn, he's uh you know really good, really good um, underground rap. I listen to um, my my family. We actually all do music. Um, it's actually in my family. Like Anthony said, Ross Anonymous is my father. Um, I do music as well as we um both of my older brothers and then one of my older sisters, we actually, like, are, you know, embarking on a group. Uh, we're going to start doing music, you know, because we've all done music individually, so we're going to start doing music as a group. So I listen to a lot of our music. Woo! Um, as a group? I listen okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, take it back to, like, the Jacksons. It hasn't been, like, a family wow. since, so it's like, why not? Um, but I listen to, you know, a lot of uh, Jay-Z, Nas. I listen to uh, Lloyd Banks a lot. I really New York heavy, but I've been branching out into like alternative music lately, um, just to broaden my horizons. Okay. Okay. And uh, let me just ask you this, um, because you're you're in that that um, that age group. How do you keep track of all the new music? Do you you set aside a day and just say, look, I'm just getting ready to go research. I'm gonna Wikipedia, Google, and then listen. Put my headphones on. How do you? Get in the know. What's your source, other than the source magazine? I, honestly, it's it, it's like to be honest, I really don't search for music anymore. Uh, ever since like we've started doing more of our own music, mm-hmm. like that's kind of been my focus. So the only way I really come across music is if I scroll down one of my social networks timeline and I see us, you know, a new song by somebody, or if I hear it on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I find my music. I, ironically, I don't search the internet for music anymore. I, I used to be one of those people that woke up every day when I was about about three years ago. I used to wake up every day, and the first thing I did was go to the hip hop websites. But now, um, I, I don't really 
you know, unless it's like one of my artists that I've loved, like you know, like Jay Z's album, right. out, I have to go, I have to listen to it. But um, everyone else, I don't really, I just hear it when I hear it. But then, okay. uh, I, I like a lot of old school music more so than the new music. Okay, okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, do you do you find yourself listening to more? East Coast based music. Are, are you open to genres? Um, you mentioned expanding earlier. Are, are you interested in being connected to the West Coast, or is that something that you already have established relationships with people out there in, in that um, region? Yeah, definitely. Uh, on um, my, my organization, Young Urban Professionals, this spring that just passed, we released um, a mixtape on the University of Albany campus. What we did was we got the eight best artists from the University of Albany, and we put them on one mixtape. Um, so, you know, it's everyone's crowd, and we brought it all together. And it was actually in collaboration with a clothing line, High Power Clothing, and they're, um, they're from California. So, you know, and one of the artists on the mixtape was from California as well. So, you know, yeah, we've, we've already, you know, we're open to it. We're into making. I'm into any kind of music. Like I'm not biased to music. I have certain preferences, but I'm not biased where I won't listen to something else. Right. Um, yeah. I'll. You know. Like I said, my father is a reggae artist, so reggae is in my blood. That's like almost more in me than hip hop is really. Um, so, but you know, music from like southern music, west coast music, any kind of music. You know, as long as I feel like like Kendrick Lamar is like I feel like he's making probably the best music right now. And, oh know, yes, hands down. He's from the West Coast, so that's just yeah. I know. I just like music. Period. Quality music. I don't care what it is, as long as it's quality music and saying something original. Where can we actually follow you? Follow you at right now? Do you have a, a social network that you want to um, put out there? Yeah, um, my social network. Um, you can find me on Twitter. It's Ja. J A H underscore Meek M E K E. That's Ja underscore Meek, and uh, my that's my Instagram as well. Ja underscore Meek. Um, if you want to follow the uh, Instagram for our Younger Professionals page, it's Amayup I M A Y U P. Um, Amayup. Twitter and Instagram the same thing. So you know, check us out. Follow me. Follow the organization, and uh, you know. Um, I'm willing to work, ask any questions, or if you just want to make a new friend. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then look out for us at the Rook Show. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, he's he's already plugged in with us, Randy. Uh, Me and Jamie, we... um, We we pretty cool. I I, I like him. He's very persistent. (laughs) Um, Throughout the Hot Stepper show, he was very professional very organized, and, um, you know, he extended himself to me immediately. And, and I appreciate that a lot, Jamik, how, how, you know, how cool you have been throughout the process of us getting to know each other. You don't find very many people as well-connected and as well-established as you are that extend themselves in the manner that you have. And, and I just want to say that I appreciate that, and, and I thank you a lot for, you know, taking time out to get to know me and, and to work with me up until this point. And I look forward to working with you. I, I definitely think that um, global expansion is something that we can 
definitely achieve together through working both of our networks. So I'm very much looking forward to working with you um, in the Absolutely. near future. Absolutely. You know, I want to, you know, just likewise, everything you said to me, like, you know, I, I would never really turn down an opportunity, you know, especially if someone's reaching out to me because, you know, there's times where, you know, you're going to need that hand, you know, to, to help you one day, you know. So I never really, anytime, like the last caller said, anytime I can help, even if you know it's just putting someone in with a connection that I have, I'll take that step because, you know, not that I do it to gain that favor back, but, you know, just being, like, good-hearted person, you just look out for people because that's how the universe works. And, you know, I mean, you, you, you exude positive energy and positive energy will come back to you. So, you know, thank you for reaching out to me and, you know, you know, believing in me off of, you know, we didn't really have too much history, but, you, you know, you still were willing to work with me and you saw my vision and I see yours. So I'm happy, you know, we're on the same page and I know going forward that we can grow and do something special. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the international music scene right now? Um, I have relationships with some African artists, some some East African artists who very much remind me of reggae music, but it's not. They I don't think they consider it to be reggae music, but to me, they both have the same similar style. Um, what do you think about that type of music and the direction that they'll they'll be going in now that we have this digital age that everybody is connected to each other? They're able to get their music out now like they haven't been able to get it out before. Do you consider that to be a part of reggae music, or is it their own genre completely? No. I mean, the thing is with, with all with, with music, right, I feel like, all music came from African music. If we're talking hip-hop, if we're talking reggae, you know, the drums, all those kind of things, those are, those are African drums. So, you know, reggae came from African music. Um, so I, I, I would say that they're, they are interrelated. They, I mean, that, that's why they would sound alike, because the African drums is basically the drums that was carried over when, the, uh, you know, reggae music. It's just the bass drum, <clears throat> the bass drop on the reggae music is different from probably the African music. But there, I would definitely categorize them as similar, but different mm-hmm. genres, I guess you could say, um, but definitely similar because reggae music is just a subcategory of the overall music of Africa. Everything came from Africa. So, you know, especially coming from black people, our, our music, hip-hop, reggae, all dates back to Africa. It, it's like we came to America and invented all this stuff. Um, so, yeah, I definitely, and I definitely believe that that market is rising again. Um, I don't know if, you, I, I know you guys remember, if you think back, and this is when I was about six, seven, eight years old, up until, you know, once I hit my teenage years, reggae was very much so mainstream. Um, and in the past decade, we've, I've seen reggae disappear to exactly. nothingness. Exactly. Where, yeah. you know, I, I would be on Hot 97 and I would hear like I would I'd be on other radio stations that I would hear reggae music being played alongside other you know like just yep. mainstream hip hop songs and now I hear the same music from 20 years ago it's like there's no no new reggae artists out things like that so I feel like you know everything comes full circle so I feel like reggae music will be making a comeback as well as that African fused reggae music that Anthony was talking about. I think everything will come back and everything will have its time, so there will be a market for it, especially with the digital. You know what? 
there are there there are up to date reggae artists that that are prevalent. That the um check out the guy from the Crips. I can't remember his name right now. That the um the one the one guy from the Crips that's doing his um solo projects. He has a, a, a song. What's his name? Is his name Malice? Or Pusha T? Pusha T. I think Pusha, Pusha T. Pusha T. Mm-hmm. He has a song with this reggae artist that that is very very good. Um, I can't remember his name right now, but I had an opportunity to talk with him not too long ago um, because you know Pusha T is Kanye West um, artist, and so they they right. get into Chicago a lot, and I had a chance to talk with them um, not too long ago, like right before the summertime. And he had this reggae artist with him. I, I hate that I can't remember his name right now. Is it Blocker? Cool. No, no, no. I can't remember the, his name. That might it might be something like that, but I can't remember. That might be it, Brandy. I, I know you over there on, <laughs> on your Google <laughs> real heavy. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That might be it. But it, check out the song. It's a real hot reggae track. I like it a lot. And. um you mentioned something about the drums. We got less than ten minutes left, so I want to kind of zip through a couple of subjects real quick. You mentioned the African no drummers. I, I have I have these young guys in Chicago. They call themselves the Bucket Boys, right? I don't know if you ever seen this before, but the young men who play um, like the drums on the buckets on the street, they hustle for money. Right. Have Have you ever seen that? Do they have that in New York? They yeah, do. they have that in Times Square. We, you know, they are buckets upside down, and they and they play the drums outside. Man, yeah, I got these young dudes in Chicago that do that, and you you wouldn't believe the type of music that they produce from from these buckets. It's like it's amazing. It, it, it's amazing to me the type of talent that they um that they have doing this. And like people are really messing with them. One of the young men just came back from Africa. They they on the pro- they in the process of putting together a show in Rio de Janeiro. Like this is to me like the essence of real hip hop. And um, I think I think they should, you know, get a little bit more recognition than what they get. I definitely would like to introduce you to this little clique of dudes and see um, if we can't get them something written up in the source or something like that because they deserve the attention. You you would be surprised. Like, they just did the Taste of Chicago last week, right? And it was, like, a hundred of them. And they, like, they like shut the taste down. Like, you could hear them from every part of the park. You know what I'm saying? They shut it down. I would definitely love to, you know, listen listen to something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get you their Facebook information. They on Facebook. I can't remember the name of it right now, but they call themselves the Bucket Boys, and they... They're doing their thing right now, representing the youth and the struggle in Chicago. They're positive. They're not out there gang-banging, although it is a lot of them. You know, they're a real good group of young men, and, and I would like to put some attention on them because they deserve it. They 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 live in the life for real out there on the streets of Chicago, and they're not about, you know, any negativity. They, they, they're pretty pretty good guys, you know. That's great. You know, and to me, to me, those are, the, those are young urban professionals, you know, just – People, exactly. you know, just a, a group of a group of kids from an urban environment who are not getting caught up in the negatives of their environment, but you know, are pursuing something and they're doing it professionally. You know, they're organizing themselves okay. and making sure that they're all playing 
you know, that's being a professional. When I say professional, I, I don't mean you have to walk around in a suit and tie. It just means that you mm-hmm. try to do everything with excellence, you know. So I see that group of young men that you're talking about as young urban professionals. And I, w- I would love to, you know, I, me, like I, I know a lot of people who when they get to a certain point, and I'm not at any point where I can even, you know, say I'm successful, but um, they're just people who don't want to help others up. You know, it's like um, crab, crabs in a barrel kind of thing. You know, I have no, I have no problem being the turtle. You know, being a turtle in the barrel just help people out. So I would definitely, you know, like to see what they have and give them some exposure. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's work on that, man. Is it anything within the next week? We have like less than five minutes. Is there anything that you would like to get out there, any websites, any projects that you're working on, besides the show that we're working on on the Keys 107 Network, any other projects that you have upcoming that you would like to share with us? Uh, Yeah, well, we have this. um, uh, It's actually in the works in in, in the next two months, um, but we should be having a boxing match in the the casino in in New York. Um, So just, you know, just be on the lookout for that. It's 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 gonna it's gonna get around because we we're gonna know a lot we know a lot of people so you know we'll we'll hear about it. But um, as far as younger professionals goes, we have a fashion slash food event where we have some of some models from from New York City getting dressed up and they're serving um, Jamaican food and Thai food and all the money's going to charity um, through younger professionals. That's one of our events that we have coming up. Uh, we recently just had a car wash in Harlem uh, just a few weeks ago where we, you know, washed some cars and um, taught the kids, you know, how to play chess, things like that. Um, that that was a couple weeks ago. And then, you know, my main focus right now until the fall comes is really um, this this movie. That's what I'm going to be really focusing on. So definitely look out for the Hot Steppers movie. It's going to be, I feel like, one of the best Crime dramas to um to to hit the to hit the box office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we excited about that. Um, man, I mean, I appreciate you coming on the yes. show. Um, to to represent positive young black men, especially in a time where you know this Trayvon Martin George Zimmerman situation mm. is really, you know, oh, yeah. putting the light. On black men, so I appreciate you, you know, coming on and shedding some positive light onto the show, man. Um, you know, much appreciation. We definitely um, will have you back on the show as well as you know we're gonna put a little bit more steam into working on to the uh, to the other. Mhm. Right. Correct. Yeah. Definitely. I. I you know. I just. You know, I'm basically I'm just you know living my life, but I just try to live my life as best as I can. So, right. you know, when people, you know, a lot of people look at me like and they see me as a rare model, role model for young black men, being that I, you know, I, like 25% of black men in the country graduate college. So I automatically am in a, a small, you know, I'm in the minority of, of, amongst yeah. black men. So people tend to, you know, they automatically label you as a role model, things like that. But the you know only thing I don't like about that is when you when they, when people label you as a role model, they only take the good and they and they never take the bad. That's and it's right. like you know, if you're gonna put someone on on a pedestal, you have to put, accept the good and the bad that and you're bad. putting on the pedestal. Mm-hmm. You can't just put the good on the pedestal and then hope the bad never makes it up there, you know. So, mm-hmm. but I definitely, 
definitely thank you, you know, for seeing me as a role model. And I try to be the best person that I can be, and hopefully, you know, that leads others to be the best that they can be. I don't want anybody to be me. Um, I just want them to be the best that they could be. So I definitely will I continue that. doing that. Well, I can respect that. And, Jameek, I'm, I'm so glad to have had you on the show, the Rook Show. And I love the name. So Thank that's you. All, that's going to ring bells in the future, too. <laughs> Thank you. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, man. Okay. Uh, we'll be in touch with you. Um, if you want to send a shout-out or give any information to for, for to contact you, we have about 30 seconds left. You can do that in that time. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to shout-out, you know, Millennial Entertainment, shout-out uh, Yelp, Younger and Professionals, shout-out Queens, New York. Um, you know, I definitely have to shout-out my whole family, all, all our supporters, all the Yelp supporters, all my you know, close friends, everybody like that. And just follow yeah. me on Twitter at Jamik, at I'm a Yup, um, Facebook.com, backslash yuppie.org, and uh, see you guys in the future. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the Rook Show. Thank you. It's your host, Anthony King and Brandy Jackson. We'll see you next Sunday, same time, 5 to 7 p.m. Thank you. Central Thank Standard. you much. Um, thank you much. Here we go. All right. No problem.